Welcome to episode 231 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. I'm Brian Levin. This is uh, another recap. We're, we're taking some time to reflect on all the awesome people we had on the show in 2017 and pull out some, some clips that we think uh, are a good taste of everything we talked about. So this is number two of a series of four that we are doing this year. We've done four in the past as well. I think we actually did five we, one year. Yeah, maybe. Uh, it, it's a chance for Brent and I to take a little bit of a break from the recording schedule and also just to bring together all of the content and all the people and all the things we talked about over the last year. So uh, here's another batch of clips. But before we get into it, I want to thank our sponsor for making this entire podcast possible. We've got one sponsor this week, and that is Reactor with a K because there's no letter C in the Finnish alphabet. The more you know. Uh, Reactor is a product design studio based out of New York City, but they have offices all over, well, I guess Finland as well, of course. Uh, And they're designing and building products and services for forward-thinking, innovative companies and organizations. Some you've definitely heard of like HBO, Supercell, Viacom, Neverthink. Working with these companies on some of their biggest and, and hardest product challenges. For example, they, they just partnered with Finnair to design and build a perfect customer journey uh, across mobile apps to really think about the next generation of in-flight entertainment systems. Uh, this is all coming out of this one agency in, in New York. They're also doing something you don't often see agencies do. Nope. No, they're not? No, I'm saying you don't often. <laughs> they're, they're launching a new satellite office. Oh, I'm sorry. I just meant satellite. Uh, (laughs) They're actually uh, launching a satellite, like the thing that goes into space and orbits the the planet that we reside on. Which Um, is just incredible. Yeah, they're rethinking how to put code into space. Uh, That's coming in early 2018. So why is Reactor sponsoring the show? Well, they're hiring. They're looking for great designers to come join them and work on some of these huge product challenges with companies all around the world. And also to think about where we should be going as designers, as product builders, as satellite launchers. And the answer is space. And the answer, well, for them was space. um, But who knows what the answer is for you? Space. Probably space too, or at least it should be. At some point. Yeah. So whatever your idea is, uh, they want to hear from you. They're looking for people with a a wide variety of skills, uh, probably around product building and design. uh, But they don't don't want just like one title of people, one like strata of person to apply. They want people who are uh, ready for big challenges, ambiguous problems, and want to do some innovative stuff with with a really cool team. So if before you go to space, you want to go somewhere else, they've got offices all over the, the world. Mm-hmm. You should go work for them. You can go to reactor.com slash careers. Again, that's reactor with a K. Uh, and they just want you to come uh, say what's up. Talk to them about your skills, your experience, what you want to do, what your dream role as a designer or a product builder would really look like. And they want to work with you to to make sure that that role can become a thing. So thank you to Reactor. Go check them out, reactor.com slash careers. And uh, go launch a satellite with some designers. Yeah, yeah. that sounds chill. <laughs> Pretty chill. Thanks again, Reactor. Uh, again, that's it, reactor.com slash careers. All right, here we go. We're going to jump right into our next batch of of clips, some of uh, our favorite clips from 2017 with some of the awesome guests we had on. I'm going to kick us off with a clip from episode 221 with Chikizi Ijiasi, uh, in which we talk about being self-taught and actually questioning that that label of what it means to be self-taught. Uh, and it sort of transitions into what it really means to be mentored and to mentor 
new designers. Chikizi was awesome, and, and I really liked this reflection. So here's Chikizi from episode 221. But it was always interesting, though, because like before um, I came to Google, I always considered myself like a self-taught person. And I'm putting like up air quotes mm-hmm. uh, because it was always something that I thought was, oh, I didn't go to design school. I I practiced, practiced, practiced a lot of the things that I uh, published. And, um, um, you know, I didn't really get a lot of the traditional learning that a lot of other people did. So I always like called myself like self-taught. And I actually stopped using that term now because it actually um, – it. Uh, um, it ignores all of the things that I've like learned from like mm-hmm. a lot of my peers, um, like the ability to like understand users, the, like the, a lot of the visual design principles. So it's really fun to think about. Um, uh, I did not do this alone. It's uh, like, it's, it's like say, I learned on the fly or something like right, that. Right. Yeah. It's, like, it's like, Oh my God, I just woke up and I just realized that I'm, I had these like design skills. <laughs> no, it was like I, stuff that I learned over time and being called out and stuff. Yeah. I, I've heard the same thing for people that say like, Oh, I'm a self-made millionaire or right, something right, it's like right. like how did really? you really only, <laughs> so only only did you just print the money <laughs> yeah <laughs> that would be a self-made millionaire that yeah <laughs> uh otherwise like well did you have employees right did you have managers? Exactly. Blah, blah, exactly. blah. yeah so i definitely i definitely appreciate a lot of the mentorship that i've gotten in the early part of my career because uh, it's definitely um uh uh working out for me uh now so i'm just trying to give that back actually where I'm starting to mentor other designers uh, the same way that I was uh, to see if I can uh, help them along their path. Any common patterns of of mentorship that you're finding crop up as not only as you Mm. took mentorship for yourself from from these other people, but now that you're in the opposite Yeah, it's one thing I'm noticing is, um, you know, it's the same thing that I did is like wanting to focus purely on like the visuals of something and just like how it looks. Um, And actually, I don't like to like uh, shoot that down because I actually think that's a really important part of the process, uh, like being able to like understand like how this thing looks and feels and how people interpret that. But um, one thing that I just like help um, a designer do is just like help them like walk back their design. Like, Like, okay, who are we designing this for? Um, let's actually walk that person like through that journey of like going through your website. Like, why are they coming through that um, or your app? Um, so it's interesting to uh, help them understand that. <clears throat> yeah, visual design is important, um, but you'll actually get better at visual design when you get really good at um, uh, uh, understanding like the user that you're designing for. Um, and it was actually this. It was a <laughs> of all things. It was a post-it that helps me um, uh, mentor people. And you're, everybody's wondering like, why the hell? <laughs> It was a post that said, um, um, and I got this from, uh, it was Daniel Burke at the time, where it said, understand, design, build, shit, as like four umbrella parts of like the design process. And it always like helped me like understand like where I like sat in that like. He says that a bunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's that's good. That's good. Um, Where's that that post sent out? I don't know. Oh. somewhere he also said that in the design disruptors movie which is very funny oh really uh-huh. yeah it's nice, a thing nice, nice yeah so that, that's always like helped me like um understand like okay what part are we in in the process uh and then like delivering that to like other designers to help them like understand like where they are in the process um and then we can like you know um, walk back their design and change some decisions if needed yeah what about in terms of career path like you went from small things yeah like yeah local telephone companies mm-hmm. to oakley on like the marketing visual interaction side right and then to product design and i find 
most of the the younger designers that I talk to are like going straight from I just want to go straight into product design. Right. Do you have any advice around that particularly? Because you've been through this like really long transition into right. it. Right. Uh, well, my product design experience has mainly been focused around apps. Um, mm-hmm. And my advice is going to be limited to advice on apps. Yeah. Um, and that's one thing that I wish uh, was different. So the one thing that I will say is don't feel like in order to be a product designer, you need to focus only on app experiences. And I think that's obviously like changing, but um, um, I definitely want people to think about product design as a process um, and as something that can be applied to anything, even if it's not visual. Um, like redesign, like an like redesign a process, like if you could. Like for example, um, I want to see um, product design be applied to um, policies or like government systems, um, the way we make things. Uh, the way we ship things. So I think it's actually interesting to think about like how much time we spent like optimizing our process to get better output. Um, but we, it's always something that serves like the end of the product or like, you know, uh, something like for the customer, like whether it's like a product or a, an app or something, but I want to see something that actually like seeks out to uh, redesign um, a service. Um, and I'm thinking specifically about like, um, my education um, and um, uh, yeah, education and just a general, I guess I'll call it the digital divide. <laughs> the ability, the, the fact that uh, not everyone is uh, benefiting from the same technologies uh, that mm-hmm. we benefit from. One thing that also comes to mind is uh, the abuse that like happens on like Twitter, for example. Um, I called that out like a few months ago where um, you know, it's pretty easy to see all the people of color that get abused on Twitter. Um, and I think it's actually something that you could actually spend time like designing that process of like, okay, how are people like reporting stuff? Um, what is the actual makeup of our internal resources? Um, let's examine that and let's actually like redesign the process in which things get reported, who it gets reported to, how does that change our product design strategy, stuff like that. And it's not really romantic because you're not really designing anything that's going to be visual or it's not going to get like, you know, like likes on like Facebook. It's something that is purely. <laughs> you want to go get those dribble likes, dude. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's definitely something that you're going to have to be passionate about. And um, but I, it's definitely something that I want to see uh, uh, change. But yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of like my advice right now is like don't think of product design as sorely uh, serving the purpose of, um, of app experiences. Our next clip comes from episode 197 with Rachel Bean. She's an art director at Google Material Design. And she talks a lot about staying curious and what making it means and if you should make it and if there is such a thing as making it and just kind of perpetually learning and and what that kind of looks like as a process. So uh, this was one of my favorite episodes this year. Overall, it was incredible we talked about Nicki minaj and a whole bunch of other stuff and it got weird you know how big of a fan of Nicki brin is my new username is Nicki brinage i don't know why you're saying that <laughs> here's rachel bean episode 197 do you still feel like you're faking it till you make it or do you feel like you kind of made it i i hope i never feel like i've made it mm-hmm. i i know because there's still so much to learn it's just for you know it's like i'm terrified. My phobia is phobia of stagnation. You know, um, 
I get really excited about things. I get super curious about things and just want to learn everything possible about how to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, chillophobia. Chillophobia. <laughs> Definitely chillophobia. Yes. I am very afraid of staying still. Um, but because the, yeah. there's so much to learn, you know, and it's and I think that's you. That's one. That's one piece of advice I would give is is just be like uh, always um, working and stuff. Not like, always working, never but like chill. get like ninety percent antsy. <laughs> don't get cynical about things. Be like, nah, I don't know. That doesn't. That seems like a trend. Or anything. get get curious. Like, don't don't be overly cynical about new information because I think. It just inhibits creativity and inhibits growth, and and the best thing to do is is just to be really interested in things. Mm-hmm. I would say that's that is the best type of career growth. What are you most curious about right now? Oh God, that you know the least about right now. That I know the least about right now. Whew. Machine learning. No, no um, yeah, that's kind of what I was. Yeah, thinking. I mean, I I love working with engineers. Yeah. I do. I I uh, I work with them a lot. Just. Part of my job as the creative lead at the team is connecting the designers with engineers and making sure that 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 the work that we're doing is being translated into code, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm just consistently fascinated by working with them and what they do. I've I've taught myself base like HTML, CSS. I'm consistently trying to make websites, you know, which is fun for me. Yeah. But I mean, I'm not very good at it. But you know, I put them together and I use my design skill sets to make things. But uh-huh. um. I I I love learning the language of speaking to engineers and making them feel confident that I know some a little bit of what they're doing. Ah right? yes, <laughs> algorithms and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I like, think uh-huh. you know that's the biggest disservice and I'm not saying that every designer should know how to engineer things. I, I don't think that's necessarily I'll the case. I'll say that. <laughs> You'll say that? But I don't think that's what you said. I think you said you should know how to talk to people. You should know what they're doing. <laughs> Just like I believe it's the reverse. Engineers should understand what designers are doing. We're really fortunate on our team to have engineers that care about design and and are are inspired by designers. Um, so, but that's like that's really awesome. But I it's f- not see, the. I feel like you can a- draw a correlation in any other industry where the person designing a thing has to understand how it is built. Yes, I agree. Like you can't have that anywhere else. But see, I. I think it's important. I think every designer is like, oh, it's so freaking awesome to have engineers that care about design. And you know that there's a room full of engineers somewhere doing a, whatever the inverse of this podcast is for engineers. And they're like, yeah, it's so awesome. I work with a designer who cares about engineering. Yeah, like, yeah I hope so. Of course. It's, yeah, it's of really course. cool when people care to like relate to each other. Yeah, that's pretty chill. Well, I don't know. You know, and it seems crazy, but it's that specifically Google. That wasn't always the case. Like design wasn't always something that was sort of. I think everywhere considered important, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's an engineering company for sure. It's an engineering company, so I feel really fortunate. Changing, yeah, it's changing. It's mm-hmm. totally changing. We've uh, and I love the engineers I work with. They really do care about design, and they have aesthetics, and they they want they care about making things look really good as well as being highly functional. Yeah. So um, that's what I'm curious about: is learning everything I possibly can about how they make things trying to make some of those things myself using HTML and CSS and, uh, you know, some basics. Uh And yeah. We've been getting really into API design lately. That's pretty uh, interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Brent and I are basically doing the same thing. Like, how do you even, how do you do this? 
<laughs> it's 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 fascinating. I don't know. It's like there's something yeah, also really like for as a designer, designing something in Illustrator or Sketch and then being able to actually make something that I can put online is like that's is mind blowing. Uh-huh. This is so great. It's like <laughs> for me looking at the engineering world is a little bit like standing on the edge of an abyss and like there's tons of stuff out there and you don't even you don't know what you're about to find. And when you do find things, you're going to go on these like crazy tangents and go down all these rabbit holes. And that can be intimidating. Do you remember like, when it was like even... that for design though? Like yeah, yeah, you exactly. had that step it's like, for sure. I don't even know if I want to start because it's just going to be too endless and it goes deep and I don't know where the end is. Yeah. And I'm here on this cozy like platform. Um, but dude, go, but, it, but jump. Yeah. Take the lead. You're sliding downhill, so don't worry about it. Just do it. <laughs> it's happening to you. Thanks, dude. No, so so I, I I think I would I would recommend or I would encourage uh, designers to kind of play with code a little bit, but I don't think it's a requirement necessarily. But a hundred percent, I think it's a requirement to understand or to at least make an attempt to understand how mm. things are actually being built. The principles overlap so much. Like when you start to really understand something, you're like, oh, it's the same thing. It's just syntax. Like. Yeah. It feels so good. Yeah. Yeah. Next up from episode 215 with uh, Salih Abdul Karim, we talk about how he is systematizing the motion design system at Airbnb, what that looks like, what it doesn't look like, how it moves, how it flows. Uh, Salih is a rad guy, and we had such a fun time catching up with him. And this is just a short clip talking about building motion design systems. Uh, so from episode 215, here we go with uh, Salih Abdul-Karim. Going back to the motion design, the the big trend now is around design systems. Mm-hmm. And it seems like Google is doing a lot of work around building design systems for motion. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think about systematizing the work that you're doing? Or are you doing that at Airbnb? We're doing it a little bit. You know, uh, one of the things that I have try to do because people have asked for it is how do we build more structure around how we use motion and I still haven't quite figured out the right exact way to do it so right now all we have is a couple of really high level principles for our motion we 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 only use motion if it has meaning and if that meaning ties directly to the screen or the action and then when, when we do use motion that has meaning, we want it to embody the kind of personality that Airbnb embodies, warm, delightful, friendly, right? Those are our two principles for how we use motion. We don't have any technical stuff in there, no easing, no oh, really? you know, other stuff. Because um, when I when I was working in New York all those years, I worked on a lot of network redesigns. So I'm sure you've seen, you know, I know you love Bravo. The Bravo <laughs> channel. Bravo. Yeah, I know that's your favorite channel. So like right. Bravo will cool. redesign and all of the look of the whole network. I'm trying to think of any shows on Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's the first one that popped in my head. But either way, when, when a network redesigns, all of the whole look of the network is different. Hmm. Sometimes even to the logo of the network, right? And there's a group of designers and animators that work on that. And that is in in itself kind of a a design system because you're creating a language, right? You're creating a design language, you're creating a motion language, you're defining the colors, you're defining how they have a little bumper that goes into a show or what the commercials look like. And when I worked on these, 
there is no mention anywhere of easing curves <laughs> because it is all about vibe. Mm-hmm. And I think the way that product designers have had to approach animation in the past has been more about numbers. And I haven't, so I'm actually not even thinking about that. You're just pick whipping all over the place. I'm pick whipping everywhere. <laughs> and, and I'm doing whatever easing feels right for that moment. And I'm making sure that the vibe across everything has the same feeling. And that, at, at least today, that's most important for me. Maybe next week I'll change my mind and I'll, you know, I'll send you a message and I'll be like, here's the perfect easing curve. Oh. Use it every time. But for now, I think it's really more about a vibe. I'm wondering, too, if it's impacted by the fact that you're the only one doing that. A lot of the system stuff is focused on working together, right? So. Yeah, like if you have multiple people, like what feels right to you feels wrong to someone else. And it's possible. It's, but it's I'm, possible. I'm almost always right. <laughs> <laughs> so It's possible, but I still think that if, let's say there were five of me and we're all working on different things. Power team. We still have to at some point come together look at the work together and see where there's discrepancies. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the discrepancies aren't going to be like, Hey, your easing curve is different than mine. I feel like the discrepancy is going to be, you know, we've been doing these smooth moves and now you're bouncing things. Should we be bouncing things mm-hmm. at all? That's where I feel like you need to stay in sync, not necessarily with exact values. What about with some of the more, mm, subjective stuff especially mm-hmm. around like does this align with the personality of airbnb mm-hmm. like, how do you talk about that in a crit session objectively like that doesn't feel warm to me or that doesn't feel inviting or something i think it is just about talking through it hmm. because you can't just say that doesn't feel warm to me you have to try to explain why and sometimes you know you start to talk about why you think it doesn't. And then you start to go, I don't know, maybe it does. And then at some point you all kind of can at least reach a consensus where what you're explaining all aligns and maybe one person doesn't agree with it. Maybe that person, maybe someone in the meeting actually does think it feels warm and they're able to accurately articulate why. And then you got three other people who say, you know, the opposite and they can articulate why. At some point, somebody has to be a decision maker to choose one, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then that's all it is. Yeah. But I do think a lot of times it is about talking through it and trying to use words as best you can. And also, well, that's the hard part, huh? It is. And <laughs> it's just storytelling all the way down. <laughs> <laughs> and also, sometimes it's about having some good references in mind. It's like mm. we did this over here. This feels warm to me. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you why this, and then then you can say why something else doesn't. This next clip comes from episode 184 with Meredith Schomburg, one of our closest friends. This was a super fun, bizarre, wonderful episode where we talked about many <laughs> scarves and plants going through people. I highly recommend going back and listening to it. You could like, we just made dumb jokes the entire time, and it was so much fun. And I laughed so hard listening to this episode when when we were putting this episode, uh, getting all the clips and everything. So. Highly recommend. It's talking about building an icon and illustration system and how to measure the success of it, which is like it's an on-trend topic. Design system so hot right now. So hot. Here's episode 184 with Meredith Schomburg. Can you help me understand? Like, I we talk about design systems a lot uh, on this 
show and just in general, right? <laughs> if Brian says, can you help me understand? It's always a oh, trap. Oh, no. uh, like in my head, I understand this idea of reusable components and like composing components into screens and flows and like mm-hmm. going from small to big. Does that methodology apply to illustration? Like we are going to come up with like this perfect hand atomic always be a- unit maybe <laughs> so it's a color or a line stroke width or some stroke width like is it that and then you compose outwards or like how do you how do you build a design system for like something so brian doesn't draw things yeah yeah so i think yeah. it's really it's, it's interesting uh, uh, that that's you why i asked for help <laughs> uh it's no it's interesting that you asked that because it's actually something that i was it, i had this kind of like moment of realization where we've actually the team that I'm on is called the experience architecture team because we deal with like the experience of our visual architecture throughout product. But so much of the company knows us as the DLS team because the work that Kari is doing is so prevalent from like our component library. Um, you know, all of that is so up in front from the team that we're doing, but it's not the only like specialty within our team. Like we actually have, Michael, who's working on accessibility. We've got another guy on my team, Salih, who does all of our animation. I'm working with illustration. And so those elements are less, or it's not just the design language system, but because that our team is like known for that, known for components, known for these like reusable parts, um, there's been this kind of mentality towards illustration in the same way. When really illustration is more about, comp- I think it's more about composition and about knowing the context and it's not necessarily this thing where you can have this like like you said the perfect hand and then you get to pick your head yeah. and you get to pick the body yeah. and you kind of get to like move it around the lego pieces of illustration yeah the lego pieces of illustration because if you see like the really beautiful like editorial illustrations um that actually make you feel something make you connect with the content you know the artist or the illustrator has very intentionally laid out that composition and thought about the whole of it if you start like throwing in all of these pieces, you get kind of what I was talking about earlier, where you get these like Frankenstein illustrations. Uh, because I think there's the whole spectrum of designer from like the really thoughtful, strategic UX designer to more of the visual designer. Um, Who is unthoughtful and unstrategic. No, not Damn that. Them. Not that. It's just <laughs> I'm like, kidding, I'm kidding. there's like the, yeah, it's more yeah. thinking about the steps and then sure. there's people that are thinking more about the visual composition. Can we just design all, or can we just like, define all of the different types of designers there are no. and just like give them a whole should like, designers draw you can only do this one thing <laughs> no <laughs> yes no they should not how dare they? um so it's been so because of that because there is this idea of components and then people are starting to kind of apply that logic and thinking towards illustration kind of trying to take a step back and think about like to what extent do you componentize illustration and in what moments is it more like more artistic, more compositional based where you don't want that. Because I think to an extent you can take away kind of the special. Yeah. It almost seems nature. like the methodologies are at odds. I, although if, I, every, yeah. if everything is illustrations, no illustrations are good or special. Well, it's not even like, that. It's it, like the it's, composition. It's just there. Like if you gave people a library of all of these parts and say, hey, make your own illustration, you get some people that could probably throw together a really beautiful thing and then some people that just won't and it's not not that they're like a bad designer it's just like they're actually bad humans (laughs) (laughs) they're terrible humans yeah obviously um oh god and i don't like me to say that to be like oh not everyone should do this but 
I mean, it takes time to learn, it right? It's, it's not learn. like a type of person. It's a, a an amount of time spent. Right. And like maybe maybe there is a way. Like I haven't actually thought about like what does it look like to design a componentized illustration system? I just think that would take so much time and effort to like actually do that well versus the time that you could just have like a really good illustrator design something to, I, for it. I would imagine you have like not components, but rules. Yeah. Maybe. So like it's less about Palettes creating and... components and more about like, what are the colors that you use? Yeah. What are the textures? All that you gradients use? are purple. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, like it goes back to the idea of tone. Like, yeah. what outcome team are you representing? Mm-hmm. Um, to what extent is it playful? To what extent is it serious? Is it more geometric? Is it more organic? There are all these like tones and feelings that illustrations convey um, that are just very different from the world of like buttons and components and lines. Question. Possible answer. How do you measure the success of the illustrations you create? Is there a measurement for that? Um, that is a great question that I don't Thanks. necessarily know <laughs> the answer to. Um, I think like with products, you can kind of gauge people's interactions and ju- like you can do data analysis on the success of a product. I think illustration starts to kind of get towards that art and design side of stuff. Like there's the design and tech realm and then you have like the design and art realm and I think illustration flirts those lines um so when it comes to illustration like it might be really successful for some people because of how they relate to it or the emotions that it makes them feel but because it's more because it's more emotive and not action-based I don't know how I don't know necessarily how you would judge yeah the success of it I mean you could probably talk to people like but I, <laughs> I imagine I, let me try and articulate this um when teams build products and they're measuring for certain metrics, you can A-B test that really well mm-hmm. because it's pretty cold data, right? You're tracking clicks or percentages and things like that. Yeah. Uh, you add illustrations into perhaps to try and move those metrics, but also for other reasons that have nothing to do with metrics. It's about brand and tone and the things we've been talking about. And I wonder if if those are ever at odds, like if the tone that you've created or the illustration you've put into a flow does something positive subjectively in terms of like the user's emotion, mm-hmm. but it actually reduces the metrics. And if that's measured in mm-hmm. how you would weight that, like when when an illustration actually hurts the product baseline, but subjectively feels good. Yeah. Maybe like- that doesn't happen. <laughs> so does that make sense? I don't, yeah, it makes maybe sense. Maybe I'm overthinking I just, this, like- but... I, I, like you can you can tell this is just like I'm not good at doing what you do. So like trying to come to grips with like how these worlds coexist and they can be like. Are you even valuable? I guess is his question. No, that's I'm not the, the question. Fucking valuable asset. <laughs> MV fucking P. <laughs> MV fucking P. I uh, wish that could be our title of this episode. <laughs> MV asterisk 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 P. <laughs> please, Sarah. Please. <laughs> M- most no what fucking v- isn't a thing <laughs> thank you for coming no out, it's, Sarah. it's not a question of value it's a que- like i understand the value mm-hmm. um i just you still come, understand how to enumerate I come, it i come from a really cold and robotic and mechanical <laughs> uh, mindset see, right? payments at is facebook it bad? is it bad uh, that, i mean like, like my style is just like i want just text and white and on the screen. heavy drop so, shadows. Is it, this, might, this might be a really t- 
terrible thing to say. <gasps> Maybe it's not terrible. I don't know. And it's going to be so recorded So you're asking for... me about like metrics and yeah. just, the, I just like don't care. Mm, yeah. I like, it's not that I don't care. Like I do care how people respond to things. But for me, it's like, I, I don't get caught up in that. It's more of like, what am I creating? Like I tend to focus more on how the work that I do brings joy to my coworkers and the teams that I'm providing these assets for and less of. Did I mean the alchemist of product? I just like the, cause I don't know. I think sometimes we just like get in our heads with metrics that we're so metric focused. Hi. (laughs) You you lose the soul of the product. Yeah. You lose the soul of it. You lose kind of like the beauty of just like creating something because you're like, I mean, fucking stoked on it. It's just like, I think there's some conversation that I, I always, I'm not big on Twitter, to be honest, but I like every now and then I see these things. I'm like, oh, that's going to be a big conversation that blows up in some way. And someone had like tweeted something about like boring design is the best design or something. Brian, because it, like, that was you, bud. <laughs> oh, shit. Shit, it was me. Uh, oh, no, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> like boring design is the best design. And it's I, just I did like, not say the best design. Okay, but like. Let's continue. <laughs> You disagree. I just like I it's not that I disagree. I just get really bored of looking at the same like sans serif type on a white background that's all like buttons look the same on every single product. Uh-huh. And so what I love about like the illustration world and about like more of the art and design side of stuff is that it's much more diverse and interesting and it might not like up metrics, but it makes you feel something that you don't just like experience all the time. What are feelings? <laughs> do you have them? Brian? Can you help are me? You, how do are you, you a wait, robot? Can you help Is me this understand Westworld? emotes? <laughs> how, how do you get metrics on those? <laughs> can you can you measure the emote? Uh, and you know, I think the point of this for me and like the realization that I've had over time is it's important for people like us to work together. Exactly, which is I why I think it's a good compliment, right? Like someone who who really gives a shit about the way this thing makes people feel mm-hmm. and the way it comes across mm-hmm. and like this very subtle or underlying perception of a product with someone who like really cares about the metrics and Absolutely. cares about clarity and that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And I think that's one thing that I've really enjoyed about kind of the team setup that I'm at sure. right now. Yeah. And just like the projects that I'm starting to work with you guys on um, is that I get so focused on making this like, let's make this beautiful emotional piece that just like gets everyone really excited and like flowery inside. <laughs> And then I like kind of like lose track <laughs> of like why I'm actually building it and what it's for. And I'm like, wait, focus. Flowery. I, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I just want people to like grow gardens inside of themselves. Oh. <laughs> that um, sounds great because my insides are empty and cold and barren. Just fill it in with heart gardens. What does it feel like Shut to feel? <laughs> I mean, you've seen some of the illustrations I've done. It's just all sorts of like flowers bursting outside yeah. of people. Literally um, through their bodies. Yes, literally <laughs> through their bodies. Like that's alien, not, that's not a, like alien <laughs> style no, it's flowers. Chest, it's a chest burster that is also a fern. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so anyways, um, no, but it's it's good because I think I don't necessarily think like one form of thinking is better than the other, but like you said, the importance of those people working together to kind of bring balance to the things that we build. Synergy. All right, next up from episode 205, we caught up with Robin Canner when she was here in town before, uh, right before she joined Etsy. And we talked about the work she's been doing with My Trans Health, which is her own company side project working to bring education and support to the trans community. It was an eye-opening conversation. The whole episode was 
just eye-opening and and so so wonderful and open and honest rob was great and like super fun to hang out with and this is just one one small bit of that uh again episode 205 with robin canner for anyone who hasn't heard of it we just covered like an aspect of it but what is my trans health for sure yeah so it's um it's just a website that helps people um find access to quality healthcare. so we were finding that like you know, therapy for sure, but also medical stuff. Like sometimes doctors like would misdiagnose something because somebody was trans. Like you'd have a broken arm, they'd blame it on hormones. And you'd be like, no, I just fell and my arms broke. Yeah. Like it has nothing to do with that. So like that was happening. like a normal injury, you know, yeah, like, yeah, like a normal, like human, like, like my physics collided with my body. <laughs> right. But because you're trans, like they think like that's the thing. So like that was a problem for sure. Um, and then they'd be like prescribing the wrong hormones if they didn't know like a full regime. So it was generally on trans patients to tell the doctors what they wanted to be on, which is like a really weird thing. And then some doctors would be like really gatekeepy. So like you'd walk in and be like, what's up? I'm trans. And they'd be like, we're not really sure. Give us three more letters that tell us that you're trans, which like is kind of bullshit. What? Yeah. So like in, like in order to, for even for me to get hormones, like I had to get three different doctors to write letters that said I was mentally hashtag insane. Like no joke. Yeah. So it, I'm uh, sorry. I, yeah. So in order to, how does that work? This is so being trans, uh, is a, and I don't do the one-on-one. No, totally. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So when you, uh, it's state by state how they allow people to get access. So like in New York, you can just go in and get hormones at any Planned Parenthood and it's chill. But in Maine, when I transitioned, that wasn't the time. So uh, that wasn't just like the the experience. So you had to go to a therapist and they write a letter that says they use your dead name. And they're like, hello, I've met this person for three months. We've talked about gender every session. They are transgender and they need to start this hormone regime. Please recommend them to start it. Then you get that letter. Then you go to another one and you get the same letter. And then you go to like another doctor. And then in that doctor appointment, you present super femme, even though you're like barely into transitioning. And then they're like, yes, hello, I met this person. They do appear to be trans. And then they run blood labs on you. And then after you get the blood labs, then you're allowed to start hormones. No joke. And that's like, if you look at like the like ingress into anything, right? Like that's a horrible experience. So... With my trans health, like, we just wanted to make that better. So in order to make it better, like, we figured out that everybody who had transitioned had dealt with that at some different point. And uh, they had to vet, like, any specific city. And uh, basically, like, there were good doctors that, who knew what they were doing and practicing in each city. But it can be really hard to find them. And as opposed to, like, trans people historically having to do trial and error situations with doctors, um, we just would, like, we'd find the person. Then we'd call them and we'd talk to them about how they do, like, trans healthcare. Then we'd put them on the site. So nobody is on the site unless we've actually spoken with them on the phone and talked to them about trans healthcare. So we're able to avoid like that six different letters that say you're trans thing. Insane. Yeah, it was it was a process for sure. I mean, the actual site is relatively boring. Like, I mean, sure it has pixels or whatever like that, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's got some site. stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's a search engine. Like that's it. Like it's like a two questions and a search engine. That's the whole site. It's not interesting. The the interesting bit was like having to find and talk to a thousand different people and how they do healthcare. How do you is, scale something like that? It's the hardest thing. But does it scale? Yeah, no. I mean, that was the that was the biggest mistake of the first site. Um, so the first site that's live like right now, but won't be in a few weeks. We based it all in urban areas. So we did the San Francisco's and the New Yorks, and in those cities, there's like 40 different doctors that do trans healthcare. So you're able to like get more individualized, specific stuff. 
But if you're in a rural area like Evansville, Indiana, there's three people who do trans healthcare. So when we did that first site, we created all these like personalized things in the in the UX and the flow of what you're able to search or whatnot. And then as we scaled it out into like rural areas of America, we realized how unhelpful that was because it was just unnecessary because there was only three people who did it. So in order to scale it, we had to basically drop back of all those search features and just push it into a display setting and make it like a trade-off that said, if you're in New York, where you have 40 people to talk to anyways, as opposed to like this place, which we don't, you know, want them to be daunted by it. So we're just going to display the material. I'm kind of confused around the like three people who do it piece. Like, yeah. are they turning people away? Are they restricted in some way? Is no, it there's just three people. Just who not pra- good enough? Yeah, well, there's three people that practice it. Like, so in a lot of cities, like you could have like an endocrinologist, but they could not do like trans stuff where they wouldn't know how to hmm. do it. So like in Evansville, there are three doctors who like work on hormones. That's it. It's one of those three. As opposed to New York where you could have the choice of 40 different endocrinologists to get your hormones from. Like that was the scaling thing. At the macro level, is that getting better in the U.S.? No. Yes. I mean, sure. Yes. No. Uh, I think the more cultural conversation that pushes on it, the better it gets. But overall, like it's still fighting a government that is against it at the moment, which complicates things pretty dramatically. Um, with Obama's administration, it pushed so it pushed the needle so much farther, and now it's just kind of like trying to hold our own at this point. But I think it's getting better comparatively to what it was in the seventies. But like. It, I think it also should move faster too. What's the end goal of my trans health? Uh, well, not end goal, but like, no, what's totally the, the vision. I guess. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> not to overshadow yeah, the value no, that's already totally. being provided. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, scaling it is like the hardest thing to do because there's a million different Evansville, Indianas in the country. Um, that's a big thing as far as just like the the push on the site, and then just like. I think the majority of things designed for trans people are hit over the head with like these like blues and pinks and like specific trans colors and they're kind of quirky and kind of like funky and they're sad. Like there's so there's there's like there's a lot of things for trans people that are sad. Like cuz like all the UX will open up with like blah 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 x people have like had bad experience like the data figures like 41 percent of trans people have tried to kill themselves like that's not a fun thing right but my trans health there's not a negative word on the whole site and it's because like i don't want you to be bummed out about being trans i want you to actually be stoked about it um so the end goal is to like make you feel better about being transition or at least normalize it to some level um so yeah i mean i think just like designers always talk about delight in their experiences, right? Like any sort of weather app will like open up with like, oh, it's a delightful experience to look at your weather app. But with trans healthcare, like it's kind of like funny to talk about like that. It actually has to count too. It actually has to be delightful. Like, like literally, I mean, I volunteered for a suicide hotline for trans people for like a year while doing this site. And I heard their voices of panic, like, uh, as they were like looking for me to basically Google things, right? So when I designed that site, it really like it was not a joke to be delightful. I was like, no, this person's literally about to die. Like I like I cannot put any red on this site. There's no red everywhere, right? There's no yellow. It's like blues and greens and like pure fucking delight. And that's just because like I didn't want you to be alarmed at any point. So delight wasn't like this thing that you tell stakeholders to make them feel good about their product. It was like, no, I really need you to feel good. <laughs> Top of the product spec. Yeah. Pure fucking delight. Pure fucking delight. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, like, just producing more delightful experiences for trans people and queer people in general, um, and then just scaling the hell out of it so it's, like, a little bit more accessible. Because, you know, 
We're in six locations right now with 450 providers. Once this new one drops, we'll be in 20 locations with 1,000 providers and organizations. And that's great, but, you know, there's a lot of other places. This next clip comes from episode 191 with our friend Will Newton. Uh, and talking about letting projects go. He, he was talking about how he did an art project where he would take a bunch of photos at once. Like I think it was three at a time. And they were always about geometry and whatever. And it was an ongoing thing and it culminated in an art show that he did. But then after a while, he realized that he just wasn't really like loving the project anymore. He had to let it go in order to focus on other things that he cared more about at the time. So basically letting things go in order to prioritize new things. And it was a super interesting uh, conversation about something that's really hard to talk about and something that's really hard to do. So this is episode 191 with Will Newton. I do uh, some visual art experimentation stuff uh, around mostly revolving around triangles. So you can see my, my triangle tattoo. Exp- that translates very well to the audio, yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, I have this shit. Concentric- I wish everyone listening could see that. Oh, it's so <laughs> triangular. Uh, so it's three concentric <laughs> triangles. Mathematical, dude. Yeah. God, sorry. We're being assholes. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like you can take it. That was an Adventure Time reference. Oh, that's like the one show that I feel like I should watch and don't. Mm. Right, right up there with Rick and Morty. You guys watch that as well? No. no. Okay. Just Adventure Time. Yeah, uh, I don't even watch Adventure Time. Anyways, triangles. Sorry. Um, yeah, so I think it was last year I decided um, that I wanted to try to do like an art project. Mm-hmm. Um, so I converted my Instagram into a an art project. And I every time I would post this like visual art experiment, oftentimes had to do with geometry, sort of positive, negative, balance, like collages, basically digital collages that I would make in Photoshop. And I would always post a series of three. Um, And that way I was forced to make lots of stuff. So I would get inspired. I would see something that was interesting uh, and then I would make some art out of it and then I would have to make two more. And that was sort of, I did that for almost an entire year. Um, last year in 2016. So that resulted in tons and tons of artwork and it sort of culminated as like a art show that was at a Mina gallery. Crazy. Um, super fun thing. But at, towards the end of the year, I realized that it started to feel kind of more like a chore of like, I had to make some art for my thing. And I made a conscious decision to like, take a step back from doing that. Um, and so I like ended the project, um, which was interesting. It kind of felt like like letting something go that became a part of my identity. Like I really enjoyed doing it, but it felt like it start as soon as I recognized that it started to feel like an obligation and not something that I was really excited about all the time. I was like, all right, it's time to time to set this one free. That's hard to do. Yeah, totally. I think about. Um... Any repet like people say they want to blog every week or something. I, I've done this in the past. I want to I want to have this cadence of doing a thing. You blogged every day for a while, yeah. And there's a tipping point where you're pretty good. You're like, wow, I've been blogging. I'll just use this example. I've been blogging every day or every once a week for twenty weeks. Mm-hmm. I have to keep going. Mm-hmm. There's this tipping point where it feels like. It's you requ- have to keep going. It's required of you, yeah. But then there's the second tipping point, which I think is what you're getting at is like, 
how do I stop this? Yeah. <laughs> how do I stop? I mean, so we've been doing this show every week for over two years. And it's like, well, at this point, it's just such a routine. It would be really hard to stop. It'd be, mm-hmm. be like a hole, you know? Mm-hmm. What'd that feel like when you... It was, quit? so it was, for me, it, I could feel like I wanted to put more energy into other things. Emails. Like, like emails and, uh, and, and music. So des- there's art design and music are sort of like my three, like, core, that's your triangle. That's my triangle of passions right there. Uh-huh. Um, well, there's our title. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's it. I walked right into that. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Yeah. So, uh, art design and music. <laughs> Sorry, bud. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, yeah, I just totally lost what I was saying. Art, music, design. Yeah, art, music, and design. And I felt like the art piece was, even though I had just spent a year sort of investing in it and refining like my taste and my aesthetic or whatever, uh, it was taking away from music and design. And I wanted to double down more. I wanted to invest more in myself as a designer uh, and just sort of a creative person in general. And then as a, as a, purveyor of house and techno beats so you doubled down on music and design uh yeah from early december episode 226 we caught up with a friend rafa from portugal when he was in town uh we talked about finding and having fun in design which is uh not possible not possible because we are uh, a grouchy grouchy group of folks um but rafa was just questioning where has the fun go- gone for him, for the industry? Uh, and I thought it was a really nice conversation thinking nostalgically and also thinking about, you know, what what is our our responsibility in, in building and designing uh, products these days. So from episode 226, let's talk about having fun with Raphael Cohn. It feels like nowadays, what, like design Twitter, like my bubble, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we we stopped thinking about specifics of UI, how stuff looks and behaves in hover effects and all that. I remember like geeking out over some cool things and new ways of you know showing something. And now it's like design systems and, well, and process in the company as a designer. And product designers that, is the only role that that means anything. And oh yeah. God, no! Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like that, we stopped having fun of these small things, and now everything is like super important in in. That does yeah. seem like maturation of the industry, though. Like, all your favorite designers went to big companies, and now they don't have the same problems. So they're focusing on other problems. Hmm. I, I remember when I was first getting hmm. started. Like, you don't go to Airbnb and then pick a new font, unless you're one of, like, five people. Yeah. I remember when I was That's first true. getting started, and everyone wanted to have the most incredible, unique, special website. Mm-hmm. Like, every website is, like, custom colors, custom ki- type new navigation patterns on them. And that's just become increasingly rare to see. I could think like Raji comes to mind as someone who mm-hmm. is still doing wacky and wild shit with like shapes and, and color and, and, and animations. But it seems like that's most not people have navigation or anything though. That's like animations and yeah, transitions yeah, yeah, and yeah. stuff. Uh-huh. Like illustration is a field that illustration. I think it's getting funner in our industry. Yeah. The fun's like transitioned <laughs> away from, <laughs> yeah, designers to illustrators designers now, go like, back to your room now it's time for yeah, you know, it's illustrators like the life <laughs> of the product is defined by like 
an illustrative style. Yeah, it does feel like as companies want to become less and less serious, it gets more and more childish and like it expands the kind of range of what we can do and publish in a serious product. Like pe- people want to be friendly. And so that just kind of expands the radar. Like mm. it, they don't want to be traditional businesses. They don't want to be cold and serious. So they just, they go in like a very fun or like childish direction, which is fine. I'm into it. Um, so I was thinking, I, I was talking about this with a coworker of mine, and we we're kind of like chatting over or like thinking about maybe design a designer in the early days, of like tech, you know, mm-hmm. design, uh, digital design. A lot of us came from like more of a an artistic background in a way, and that was like our background in a way or what we cared about. Uh, so we kind of wanted to look pretty and you know want to be different mm-hmm. and want to be flashy and stuff. No one wants to make something ugly. But no, but uh, okay, but we want to make something boring now. That is good. Boring. Mm. Like, I think now we're getting boring in a way because we we don't care as much if it looks good in order to, if it just like works fine. And now we have the metrics and we have A B testing and everything like metric based. It needs to work. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to sell something being like fun and let, let, let's say. I mean, I am working for, I'm designing a, a, a tool, mm-hmm. like a professional tool for developers, which is a crowd that is not like, give me animations, you know? Yeah. <laughs> They're very pragmatic. They want stuff to work fast. Don't don't be, yeah. make me wait. Speed All is that. very important. Right. So um, it's not that like I feel bad or like resent the fact that I can't make stuff flashy and bouncy and cute. Uh, no, because that's not the problem that I'm trying to solve. Yeah. Uh, but in the end... Everything is super pragmatic. Everything is like black and white, you know, clear, no room for like to have fun because that's not what you're doing. You don't want to have fun on a developer tool. Well, that's, I, how, I, that's how the market works, right? Like well, that's, that's the point. That's is how like, the industry uh, seems to work. Yeah. And I'm Everything wondering if that's like more mature our, and boring. our bubble. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe if we were more involved in like client work agency freelance mm-hmm. bubbles, those would be... Like they wouldn't feel the same way, but being well, in a, those... a product design led bubble, like I think I am and maybe you two are, it's like people tend to care more about like, I don't give a shit about the type, just use whatever the user's most comfortable using, which mm-hmm. is the system standard and then move on. Like I don't need to reinvent a table cell, just use whatever iOS gives you. I don't need to reinvent a button just because material has a, those out of the box. Like I, I just stopped caring about these things in in the name of like solving product problems. So I'm wondering if that like is percolating around us way more often than. But would you say fun, that like inventive well, expressive stuff? A lot, a lot of the things that make it to like the iOS, you know, UI kit, the standard library, and stuff like that, are things that came from the wacky third party mm-hmm. independent creators. Uh, pull to refresh is like that. that that's obvious. the only example everyone anyone I ever say gives. So. I would say like you know uh, Facebook I, Paper. The I think that's like. Um, the name that it was called, mm-hmm. right? That that yeah. alternative app, Facebook app, which yeah. is mm-hmm. awesome. The like pan to you know scroll on the picture. Oh, or I was saying that's the only example anyone ever gives. I wasn't saying that's oh, the only. No, yeah, there's a lot more. Like just dismissing pictures by you know flicking it to the bottom. Yeah. That's I don't know exactly where that. I, think I don't Twitter, know where maybe, that came or from. Facebook or Tweetbot. Had Tweetbot. A, they had like a full on like flick action, like it would rotate and everything. Right. So stuff like that. Right now flick a photo to the bottom to dismiss it is on is a is a standard yeah, library if, if you pattern. don't have it 
the app's really frustrating. To it use. is broken. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it is out of the box of the standard like UI kit right yeah. now, right? So if we as an industry are killing off those animations, like experiments and stuff, because there's no room for it. I mean, we mentioned paper at Facebook. Right now we don't have paper at Facebook. We don't have anything equivalent. Yeah. There's really no one like experimenting or like, having the freedom to I mean the App Store has a lot of the same things as uh paper used to have, right? Like with the the masking animations and everything. Like lots of folding and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think the paper like it folded. Mm-hmm. Like it opened up and now it's I don't just, I don't think they necessarily do that, but I think there are some folding animations. It's kinda of similar. Yeah, like the thumbnail, you know, mm-hmm. fills the masking, the whole, yeah. Right. Um so now are we killing that off? Like what what does that mean for our standard libraries in like a couple of years? It just seems like there's I don't know. I all of the work I've ever done has been like really utilitarian and mm-hmm. companies I mean, want to invest in things that like have a really clear ROI. And so like the designers, it seems like they're the ones most suited to coming up with these new kinds of patterns mm-hmm. that 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 could become big and might become a, a standard. Uh, but I, I have a hard time, like, especially now with what we're building, like justifying investing time in that sort of exploration. I imagine more companies feel the same way. That is fair. Like, why would I pay a designer to come up and like maybe invent a nice gesture, like flick to dismiss a photo, like just put an X there and move on to the next problem or something. But I think it doesn't start that way. We're mostly on desktop. Like, I'm so not that's gonna... an unfair argument, I think. Hmm? We're mostly on desktop, so I think that's probably an unfair argument. Where when we implement stuff on mobile, we'll probably use like good mobile practices, regardless of what they are. I feel like most innovations come. No, I think from when mo- we when we do mobile, we are going to pick the standard UI for each platform and not invent new things. Cool. We'll talk about that when we get there. <laughs> no, but that's the point, right? Like, there's we why, haven't done that so far. Do you really want to invest time in, in inventing? Like, I'm not saying we go out things. of our way. We just do what's right for the product yeah which Which probably isn't good content but probably not no i mean more i would say more innovation is coming from mobile just because it's a a younger platform right we're still figuring stuff out uh but to your point i don't think it's it's not that big companies pay designers or developers to create new patterns or new whatever they just let's take facebook again as an example they probably just said to was it mike uh mattis right like create an alternative way to consume, you know, your Facebook content. It wasn't like I want this to be super different. Invent a new way to dismiss photos. You know that it's not that. It's just giving the room to for someone to just, you know, do something different. Like explore, just be creative. And some of those stuff, like it doesn't, it doesn't convert well. Like it, it doesn't work. Yeah. Like right? what what companies are investing in that? It's, it's the big ones, right? Like Airbnb comes to mind twitter mm-hmm. facebook investing in what like go build a new version of facebook have fun we don't really care you think airbnb is doing that uh with their yeah like let's learn how to create ui by sketching and turning that into a component that's in a database but somewhere. that's tooling to get to the standards it's like an internal thing yeah it's not changing Which is another interface. whole new topic but fair point yeah, but but no, I like at the end user, like at the, the 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 final product. There's not a lot of exploration and innovation. I feel like I don't know, and, and this is also pretty like tricky for me again, as a, because I'm designing this. I would like to try to reinvent the wheel a lot of times, but 
I can't. I shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, yeah, we don't have the budget or the you know luxury of being able to spend you know three months working on a silly thing. Um, but just like a lot of times, it is not the right decision, and that that's what scares me. It's not that like you know the 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 guys with the money you know they don't allow us they don't give us the freedom and to to explore creativity or whatever or like the app store is put in a way that you know if you want to be independent and creative can make money i'm not saying that i'm just saying that unfortunately being boring a lot of the times is the right answer is are you saying that the design role is changing or your view of the design role is changing are you changing your perspective I can't separate it. Mm-hmm. It's fair. I don't know. Our last clip for this roundup comes from episode 203 with Chantal Jandard talking about job hunting and like being very systematic about it and building a process. And I, it's really hard. <laughs> Finding a job's hard. Uh, and Chantal helped us understand the way she went through it and how she ended up uh, finding a job where she's happy. I plan grid. So here's episode 203, Chantal Jandard. I think when you're first job hunting, sometimes people um, over-prioritize the, um, repu- like, not the reputation, but brand names of companies. Mm-hmm. Like, they really want to work for a company that's super famous or um, it's something they use every day or... Something um, that, where you can tell your parents what you do. Yeah. Yeah, actually. Like, hey, mom, I work at that like, at the Google. I work at you know? Facebook. <laughs> you know what Facebook is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually. Um, people actually do that. It's yeah. true. Um, so I think that there's a lot of companies in San Francisco. There's so many companies. There's so many you haven't even heard of. So diversifying where you're looking. Um, so you're not just going to ones that come top to mind or scrolling through your phone being like, which of these apps would I work for? Yeah. How did you Um, find companies for that list? Talking to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, kind of like just meeting people for coffee, even if they, their company wasn't hiring, even if they didn't want to go to the company, just talking to them and saying like, hey, here's what I'm kind of doing. Here's what I'm looking for. Like, do you know anyone? Mm-hmm. Do you know any companies? And that's actually how I found PlanGrid was through word of mouth. Gotcha. Um, someone just kind of happenstance sharing it in a social area, which was cool. Cool. Yeah. And is this second job hunt wh- where that happened? Yeah. Yeah, actually. Um, yeah, as I mentioned, like I was making sure to actually like, go out and talk to people. And even if their company wasn't hiring, they usually had really good recommendations because they were in a company that maybe I was interested in and they would know other companies kind of like themselves or in the same sphere, mm-hmm. um, which I think is super all cool. All their competitors. Yeah. <laughs> Just like real, list them all out, um, which I think is it's awesome. I think another thing that um, I made the mistake of doing is spending way too much time on my portfolio, which I think a lot of people are super Ooh. guilty of. Wait, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> Should designers have portfolios? Oh God, <laughs> I said the wrong thing. <laughs> yes, you done goofed. <laughs> and now yeah. we're here. Um, I think it was it was a good process for me to think through, but I think I overthought the first time I was doing it. It's like, do I have big pictures? Do I have little pictures? Do I have any pictures? Do I write case studies? Some people say I shouldn't have words. Some people say I do. What do I do? And I ah. spent a lot of time like overthinking it. Um, but the best advice I got was um i can't even remember who told me it i wish i could like credit whoever said this to me um but they're just saying like if you want uh, think about what you would value and make sure you're showing that so that you are chose like people are gonna be looking at tons of portfolios make sure that whenever someone who is the same kind of values the same things you do sees your portfolio they'll see what they need so like think about your own values and try and match your portfolio so that someone will choose you based on their values. So, so Bryn's website would be filled with puns and a picture of a motorcycle. 
No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no. Cool. <laughs> what would it be filled with? Not a portfolio. Oh. Nothing there. <laughs> I want, wow. I want, I want, I want a, Anyways, moving we, on. I want a we bunch of links to your stuff in the app store. <laughs> okay. Or like existing applications. Okay. Yeah. So I guess like how I ended up interpreting that advice was um, just typing out all my design decisions, why I made that choice, um, talking about the research I did, talking about the strategy and doing mostly just pictures to show the UI and give context. But most of it ended up being writing. Um, and some people said like, ah, no one's going to read all that. That's a lot of text. No one's going to read all of that. But then um, I would talk to um, people like Alyssa and she's like, I read all your case studies. I thought they were super interesting. Here's the part I thought I really liked. And this was super cool. And actually she had gone through some of them um, or she was just. That's cool, like, like a great sign, by the way, is yeah. if the person that hires you read your website. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or I mean, I mean, maybe she just scrolled through really quick and like picked up key lines <laughs> and like really nailed it. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, but maybe. it impressed me anyway. I was like, oh, wow. Like she actually like understands the thoughts I was trying to like what I was trying to do and where I came from. Um, and there's definitely some people that, you know, said I had too much words, but. You know, too much words. Too much words. Did Too talk good. Too much <laughs> words. <laughs> no job. <laughs> that was the email I got. No job for you. <laughs> <laughs> I killed Bryn. <laughs> uh, did you guys see Keegan's email? Uh, do you know Keegan Jones? No. Uh, at Keegan on Twitter. Yeah. He tweeted yesterday that he was trying to cut all of his emails down to like third grade sentences. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he started like interpreting people's tweets into like three word sentences. Uh, it was the best. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> that was that was an aside, but I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I'll so look that up after. <laughs> your portfolio is still up. It is. So people can look and see what you put out there that ended up working. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, Brian, I- why isn't yours up? I deleted it. I don't know. Why? I don't know. Oh, are you part of the no portfolio boat too? No, no. I'm if I'm job hunting, hell yeah, I got a yeah. portfolio up. <laughs> uh but then I got a job and I just decided to redo my website to be whatever the I wanted it to be. Yeah, that's kinda how I'm at right now. I kind of yeah. I look at it now, I'm like, oh God, I sent this to people. That's too bad. Oh. But some of these days hey, say, Yeah, it worked. I mean it, it worked, worked for me. Um but yeah, I'm at the point where I kinda of want to redo it just to be random shit now. <laughs> uh, I have a job. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of nice. I I think your odds of getting a job are probably like a million times higher if you have a portfolio. That's like what people look for. I mean, it helps, right? Like if they Unless don't you know have you. like this massive reputation and body of work behind right. you that speaks for itself, but that seems pretty rare. And those people, those kinds of people are rarely job hunting. They're like, I think a network can be hunted. effective. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I think the thing too, like, I mean, maybe you don't need need one if you know someone at the company and they can recommend you, but at some point you're going to have to present your work. Like it's slideshow or something. Yep. Like you need to have a body of work in a folder that you can easily talk to or speak mm-hmm. of. So, I mean, maybe it's a portfolio. And like, I mean, you're applying to jobs. I'm sure a portfolio is helpful if you don't have a network or if you are you have a friend or an acquaintance, you can send them the portfolio to send it to their hiring manager yeah. or something. But you, you need those artifacts at the very least. Yeah. Unless you're like... Mr. Famous McGee or whatever. <laughs> ah, Mr. Famous McGee, that guy. <laughs> classic. Like, classic. Everyone knows McGee. <laughs> He's famous. Like, <laughs> Bryn just eye rolled at me. <laughs> it's okay. That's classic. Classic. Thanks. I was eye rolling at the concept. <laughs> so one last thing about these like crazy job hunts that, yeah. I don't know, I feel like people maybe... Well, for good reason, don't talk about publicly. 
but also it kind of sucks for people that are going through job interview processes, the number, right? Like <laughs> how much you're going to get paid. Is yeah. that for a good reason though? I think it seems like people are realizing that it's not good for that to be secret, but it still it's still is good for sort your of, it's good for yeah. your employer, right? <laughs> yeah. But it's still sort of a taboo thing. I actually listened to uh the Working Files podcast recently. Oh, interesting. And they talked about how much money they'd made as designers over the course of their career. Like that stuff's useful. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious for you, obviously no specifics, but like how did you know like <laughs> if you were being treated fairly throughout this process? Yeah. So um, uh, something that I'm, I guess I'm really lucky with uh, my friends and just the various people I've been online is just trying to destigmatize um talking about salary like um whenever friends are unsure about um if they should negotiate or not i'm like well what what do they offer you here's what i make mm-hmm. we have similar experience like have you asked other people what they make at that company like just talk about it know the number um and i think people are sometimes a little unsure if they should share what they make um i guess it can be uncomfortable for some people like if um you know, grass is always greener or yeah. like you have less experience than me. Why do you make more? And that I mean, sort of sentiment. I think that comes a lot from, especially in Western cultures, we like associate our salary with our value mm-hmm. and we don't want people to know what we're valued at by like other people. Yeah. Right. It's so fucked up. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but I think the more you talk about it, the more um, you're able to um, just push like know what you're worth and ask for it like one of my friends recently went through the job hunt and was given an offer and um she actually has more experience than me like she has a couple more years um and so i'm like okay well what was your offer and she gave me the number i was like oh like i'm making a little bit more than that like you should so she actually asked for my salary when she went back and she got it (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) exactly like that kind of shit yeah um it's I think the some employers play not all not everyone like some people will offer you like a very very reasonable salary and maybe negotiations are not needed but there are a lot of places that will try and like see where they can put you especially mm-hmm. um, this is a huge concern um, for minority groups yeah um, people that typically have been paid less at their last role it can perpetuate so just straight out knowing what you're worth I think is very helpful mm-hmm. and um, if any employer asked her what were you paid at your last job. Um, you don't have to answer that question. It doesn't yeah. matter. This is, you know, they can, you can give a bot, they can, you, they can ask you, you know, what are you expecting? And you can be super honest about like the amount you want. And- One million dollars. <laughs> well, at, at least in California, <laughs> they can't require you to tell them. Yeah. I think so that's it's one a, thing. It's a mm-hmm. law. I don't know what other states have the same case, but here they can't require you to tell them. Yeah. People should definitely know that. that uh, yeah. I would say I'm, not good at negotiating but i haven't had to do it much but like the rules are you know you don't name the number first and then do not say what you made at your last job right unless you did really fucking well at your last job Mm -hmm. yeah i guess throw it out there (laughs) i mean i I used my salary from sidewatch to negotiate my one at figma Mm -hmm. because i was like i was basically applying to a marketing role so Mm. automatically there's like a, a decrease in value there from like running a design team to being a marketer yeah so i guess that's the other point too is like there's context involved that's like even knowing someone's salary mm-hmm. is, i would say more in silicon valley is almost not even that big of a number compared to like equity or right what the benefits are or yeah benefits are huge like that, right most early stage startups will push 
heavily to give more equity. And in, in many cases, that's just like, well, they have to. It's well, like funny money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they have to, right? That, but that, that only matters if some of the employees really care about what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. And so a lot of times it, you just can't like get, get the amount of money you need. Well, even then too, I think it becomes like almost golden handcuffs in a way because mm-hmm. then you've taken this pay hit. Um, so like uh, there's a lot of psychology behind um, why people do what they do and why they stick with it. Um, but I think once you've um, – they've done a lot of studies. It's really interesting. Um, once you've done an outward behavior, you actually change your inward beliefs to mm-hmm. kind of match it. So if you um, – It's like opportunity costs a little you, bit, right? Yeah, a little bit. Like you're like, well, if I if I did this thing, then I must believe these things. <laughs> and so you start internalizing these beliefs more and more. So even if you kind of took the equity just because you were afraid to negotiate, you can almost convince yourself that I took the equity because I really care about this company. I think it's going to be really successful. So I think people can like convince themselves to do this, make this choice. Um, and then they stick with this company for like maybe longer than they should because, you know, they've invested so much, fallacy of uh, lost. Sunken costs. Yeah, sunk costs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so they just kind of get stuck. So I think, yes, equity can be useful and valuable, but also like take the money too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't completely shoot yourself in the foot. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it's awesome that you found friends that could name the number. Um, yeah, that should be much more prevalent in our industry. That should be. I think there's also yeah. like a weirdness about like, uh, especially with people that are younger, you might feel like you're bragging a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I it mean def- if they ask and you're cool sharing it. Yeah, I think it. You have to be like people with the same industry around mm-hmm. the same experience and stuff. Um, it's interesting that like. Um, I find that people aren't so shy about showing the number, but I think that might just be in the, um, I'm in some women's only slacks where we kind of just talk and share. But I think because we, um, as women know that typically we aren't paid well, um, this is especially for like women who are um, intersectional and also are minority in other ways. Um, they they know they're not paid well. So we know we need to share our salaries. We know we need to negotiate for each other and negotiate for ourselves. So we're sharing so much more than I think maybe um, a lot of like mm-hmm. male or mixed slacks yeah. or communities are. Well, it's really easy for me to share my salary now because it's zero. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that's, but I have all the equity. Yeah. It's helpful to like be starting a thing and then people just never ask. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We know what you're it's making. True. It's, it's like, not oh, dollars. I know you don't make any money. It sucks <laughs> to be you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true, actually. Yeah. I think at one point you talked a little bit about the benefits and stuff too. Right. And like, yeah, that is super We don't important. have those. <laughs> Should well, I we more hang- things we, you don't have? We, God dang it. <laughs> what am I doing with all my time hanging out with Brick? God, son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so at my last company, not yeah. Facebook, but before I, Buffer, uh, they just made everyone's salaries public. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. How did that work? How did that go? I knew what you made. Yeah. People could Google what I made. People could Google how and much I was equity like, I had. He's not worth that much. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh man, Buffer's getting scammed. Uh, it was good. Mm. I th- like everyone wants to know, uh, is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? Yeah. I wonder how it actually like worked out in the company. I think it ended up being that people just came in feeling like they were being treated fairly. That's awesome. like if you, if it's secret, maybe not everyone, I don't want to project, but I certainly had this voice in the back of my head at other places like, did I negotiate well? Am I getting fucked right now? Yeah. Not really even on the salary, but mostly on the equity part. Like, 
did I get fucked? I don't know. And so having that be public meant that as you're applying for the job, you already know what you're going to get. So if you're not happy with it, then don't fucking apply for the job, (laughs) right? Like you're crazy. It's true, yeah. So you end up going into something that you already knew you were going to get and it ends up feeling pretty good. It also buffered like paid well. So it was like a fair company. That's awesome. Like uh, I don't know. I don't know if anyone else that does that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because a lot of the time the, the, the logic for um, hiding salaries is like, oh, we don't want to create drama. It'll yeah. cause problems. But it sounds like it was actually the opposite. It created less drama as a result. I think the uh, major criticism, which hasn't manifested in any way, was by publishing the salaries that you pay your employees. Mm-hmm. Other companies will have an easier time poaching them. I mean, I guess. But, but the reverse logic is like the company who trust their employees so much and the employees trust their employer so much like aren't really likely to be poached anyways so it hasn't really happened (laughs) as far as i know yeah i think that makes sense too like i mean i've it's funny that a lot of companies will use that logic oh we don't want you to get poached yeah it's like well people don't just get grabbed (laughs) yeah (laughs) randomly off the street (laughs) well yeah we got you now (laughs) and that's that's not the only lever so (laughs) yeah exactly i've I've even heard some agencies won't publish the names of the people who worked on projects because they don't want them getting poached if the project is really good yeah in case studies and stuff it's like well that's too bad like that sucks yeah like they did a great job like let them, if you're such a great agency, then they're not going to leave. Yeah. Like, if you're an agency that got them this amazing work, then. Yeah, exactly. And, and your employees are more than just a tool, right? Like, yeah, right. that's the thing I don't like about that is it's like they are just a means to an end and not like something that should be valued in and of itself, right? Yeah. They're great employees. Let's celebrate that. Right. And I mean, I think if you treat an employee really well and they and you help them a lot and they become, um, even if they do end up leaving, they become like an ambassador for your brand. Totally. Like that's a huge thing. Yeah. Like there's definitely people who um, like I've worked with at past companies that ended up like sending referrals back to the company they left because exactly. uh, and they went out in the world because they had a great time there, but they just needed to move on. The, the mm-hmm. role they needed for the next step in their career just wasn't at the company or whatever have you. So yeah, I think the defensive measures some companies go through to try and keep people actually do the opposite, yeah. which is kind of unfortunate. Makes it very off-putting. For yeah, sure. yeah, for and sure. And uncomfortable for everyone. So takeaway is find friends you can trust that yeah. you can hopefully commiserate with in some way and like get good information. Yeah, and just know your value and know that before you get into a get into a negotiating situation because sometimes depending on the negotiator too depending on what the manager's like they can try and convince you something's a good deal when it's not so yeah just know, know but we got ping pong head. tables man oh man the beer pong we do it's unreal <laughs> that, uh, that at least adds up uh, to like twenty thousand dollars a year it's my brain what <laughs> yeah the idea of playing we beer go on pong team trips to <laughs> reno <laughs> <laughs> the idea of playing beer pong at work is terrifying to me the idea of playing ping pong at work is not all right, that was episode 231. That's uh, this episode of Clips. We hope you enjoyed listening back. If this is your first time jumping into design details, we hope this was a nice uh, taste of some of the conversations we've had. Uh, of course, you can go back and listen to all the episodes at spec.fm. And if you need more new, fresh content, we've got a bunch of podcasts for designers and developers at spec.fm. And of course, before we go, if you're looking for a new gig, We've got a place for you. Reactor with a K. They're hiring. They're a product design studio uh, in New York City, and they are designing and building 
products and services for some of the most forward-thinking and innovative businesses and organizations in the world, and they want you to join them. And they're going to space. <laughs> they're you can too. They're launching a satellite. That's maybe the coolest thing I've ever heard from from an agency. They are looking for uh, great designers, product thinkers, satellite uh, designers satellite specifically, designers to come help them work on a huge variety of, of projects. So they don't want to constrain it to one title. They just want you to come talk to them about what your dream role looks like. But your title could be outer space designer. Outer space designer. L- low earth orbit designer. <laughs> so uh, jump into that uh, new and exciting role at reactor.com slash careers. Of it's course, called an orbit, not a role. God damn it. And tell them we sent you. Again, that's reactor with a K slash dot com slash careers. Thank you to Reactor. Thank you to you for listening. We'll see you next week. Hit a high C for me. Go. C. <laughs> How high? <laughs> Wait, that, that's just Fire. juice. High C is just juice. <laughs>